So we are in for a treat this morning. Uh, we, I have invited, uh, we have welcomed, we are welcoming a guest preacher, Jamel Jones. Uh, and many of you know him. Yeah, we're excited. They're pumped. Many of you know him because he is the director of our Wesley Foundation down at UofL, University of Louisville. He is a trivia champ. Yes, he is a trivia champ. He's played trivia with us. Um, but some of you might not know that he's a licensed local pastor in our church, and he has his charge with us at Revolution. Uh, and so he, this is his home base. He's doing his job, and he's doing a really good job, so he goes around and he, you know, goes to other churches and visits and talks about the ministry and preaches for them, so we don't always see him here with us on Sunday mornings, but when he can come home, this is where he comes, and so I am so excited uh, that we get to hear from him this morning to prepare. Thank you, Vance. And now we may begin. <laughs> yeah. The Christ candle has been lit. Um, thank you, sir. <laughs> so I'm so excited to welcome him, for, for us to hear from him and the word that the Lord has prepared for us to hear through him. I, I believe that we're going to be blessed, uh, and so I want to welcome him now, uh, Jamel Jones, to come awesome. on. Thank you. Thank you. How's everybody doing? Revolution, y'all right? Awesome. Awesome. It is good to see you. It's good to see you. Before I pray, I just got to say this from the very start. Thank you for loving on me and supporting uh, me as well as the Wesley Foundation. I thank you for all the hearts who've been involved in this journey, me moving to Louisville and getting things started here. So thank you. Also, this message is specifically for you. So if you are listening online and you're tuning in and you're brand new, I'm, I'm excited that you're listening. But this is specifically for Revolution. Um, because I love all of you in here as brother in Christ, and at the same time, I feel like the Lord has something to say to you that may be challenging but encouraging at the same time. So don't lose sight of that, okay? Amen? Okay, so let me pray for us as we get going. Holy Spirit, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for their minds, their souls, their beings, who they are. And God, I don't know where everyone is in their faith journey, but I pray, God, that they continue to pursue you. God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh on us. Help us to be aware that you are present right now in this moment. And in this time that we won't get back again, we pray, God, that you would help us leave everything at the door. Help us to clear our minds and hear what you have to say. And I pray, God, that I am not a stumbling block for the person that is listening online or in person, but that they would see through me to see you. We pray that your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ready? So there's two questions that I'm going to ask. They're rhetorical. That will actually move us in a direction that we're going to head for the rest of this message. The first question is, how do you speak to a generation that has hardened hearts? Now, you may hear this question all the time, but how do you speak to a generation that is not listening, that, it, that doesn't care what you think, that doesn't hold the same values or opinions as you? Their hearts are hardened because of trauma. Maybe, well, I would argue the church's fault. 
um, also through their own personal trauma with their family, their relatives, relationships, whatever the case may be. How do you reach that generation when you have social media that's running um, rampage, but yet it's a beautiful thing, but yet it's twisted? You have news outlets that are saying one thing or another. You have church splits like the Methodist church that is happening. You have all types of denominational issues. You have struggles and all that nature is coming to a head and you have a generation that is coming up. We call them the babies in slang terms, elementary, middle school, high school, or college students that are listening and seeing this and they're looking at us for guidance, but the babies are like, I don't get it because we're not doing our job well. You may say, why are you saying we? You are in this. Another way to put it, I heard an evangelist say this, how do you reach a generation that listens with their eyes and thinks with their feelings? How do you reach a generation that thinks or that listens with their eyes and thinks with their feelings? I'm going to let you process that because that is what is happening and has been happening in our culture. And you are influenced by it just as much as the next person. That's question one. Question two is this. Is there a rational urgency that we must have when sharing the gospel and living out the gospel in the 21st century? When I say rational, meaning logical, let's use our brains for a minute. Is there an urgency for you to live out what you say you believe instead of being a hypocrite or being the one that says, oh, someone else would do it, or being the one that says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm all about God, but my life is not pointing to Jesus. So are you actually being urgent about how you share Jesus and about how you act and look like him? Because you can talk a good game and say you love God and talk all this stuff, people are with you, but you know the moment you act like him, they abandon you. So are you willing to live a life that you have to carry across in order to reach a generation that will cost you more than you know? Because here's the thing. Side note, thank you, Holy Spirit. The moment, the moment that you choose to follow God, you, you're, you're giving up a lot. and It comes at a cost, and it's worth it, I would argue. Now, if people knew how much it cost, they would give his life back. So are you willing to stay the course of not just loving people, I mean sacrificially giving your life away like Jesus when he gave his breath away on the cross? Are you willing to lean in and reach a generation that needs to hear this? But here's the thing. Most churches that I've talked to, they stay where they are. So are you that person that would just stay where you are? I'm going to come back to that question. And, and let me say this on another note while I'm thinking about it. The apostles, they understood a sense of urgency when it came to the gospel, meaning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this good news that brings great joy for all people that Luke documents. This very urgency is what they had because they believed Jesus was coming back. Where has it been for us as a body of believers, this urgency to love well, to serve well, to help, but not trade sound doctrine for it? Are you actually being urgent about how you deliver the gospel and how you live in such a way that it looks like love? And what is love? Jesus. Are you there yet? Or have you just kind of off road for a while hoping to get back on track. Now, what I'm not saying is this, though. 
I'm not saying, nor am I talking about reckless evangelism or weak apologetics. Now, there's a difference between evangelism and apologetics. The, the basic is evangelism deals with the content, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, what, what he taught, what he believed, what he stood for. Apologetics, apologetics is defending the faith. So you can't be out here just giving reckless evangelism that, has, that makes no sense or, rely, or lines up with what Jesus is saying, how he lived, how he loved, and what he did. Nor am I saying you should have weak apologetics. You should listen to what other people are saying and ask them why they believe what they believe. And then how do they come to this conclusion? And then for you to understand and then have these educated conversations with people and not shut them out. This has everything to do with the two questions that I'm asking you. Your urgency to share the faith and you speaking to the hardened hearts of this generation. Because they're under the guidance of us, your children, your grandchildren, the college students, the middle schoolers and high schools, not of this church, but of any high school, middle school, or youth group. We have a responsibility, friends, as Christians, to live out our faith in such a way that it is transformational for someone else's eyes, their ears, and their heart. Because you know you know, everyone in here knows, don't be ignorant, you know that when it settles here in the heart, you get it here. So are you going to allow God to take your heart and heart and make it a heart of flesh? Are you going to allow yourself to receive what the Spirit has to say to you, submit in humility, and then turn around and go and help this generation? Now, church, I've seen a lot from this place. What I've heard by testimonies, what I've seen by what mission stuff you did on the slides and where you're going to go and what you're going to do, I love that, and I'm so proud of you. But I don't want you to get just stuck there. Because this is a great church, and I've seen some stuff that you've done. I've heard great things that you've done. I don't want you to get stuck where you are, though. I'm going to come back to that point as well, too. So what I would like you to do instead, or continue, to have mercy-driven relationships, to err on the side of compassion for one another. I want you to lean into obedient living in Jesus Christ. I want you to continue to evangelize and make the gospel central to your life. I want you to continue to have apologetic conversations that make people question their faith in Jesus. Because when you read the Gospels, at least when I do, I find that every time Jesus gives a parable, it's coming out to where the other person listening, their faith is being challenged in him. And so I wonder, are you having these conversations to where their faith is being challenged in him because of what you are bringing up and addressing? I want you to continue Living with the understanding that we are all human, made in the image of God for purpose and meaning, and we have value, and we need Jesus. <laughs> Jamel, I already know all this stuff. I've read the Bible so many times. I should know this. I, I, I think I know this. I want this message, as we read the text, to be a reminder to you. 
Keep doing the faithful labor that you are. But don't settle for where you are. Now, I got to address this because I said I'll come back to this. So please, if you will, do not do these four things. The first one is this. Do not live in your glory days. They don't matter. Now, what I will tell you is this. There are great reference points to look and say, oh, yes, we had this many students. Oh, we had this big of a church. Oh, we had that type of preaching. Oh, we had this type of uh, offering and giving. Oh, we had this type of mission trip. Oh, the list goes on and on and on, right? Do not live in those days. Those days were seasonal, and they were for whatever that time was. But you must live in assurance of what God can do in the days that you can't see. So don't be a church that lives in the past. Don't be a church that wants to live in a future that doesn't exist. Be a church that is the now for a generation that needs you. Number two, do not live in your own self-righteousness. We all can relate to that, right? Live in pursuit of Jesus. The more you have pride that gets in your way, the more you feel like you're doing it right, I, I wonder the conversation that people have about you and how you're getting it wrong. And then I also wonder the conversations that you're having with yourself, convincing yourself that you're getting it right, and God's looking at you like, you're so far from where I'm trying to get you to go. Don't live in your glory days. Abandon your self-righteousness. Also, how about this? <laughs> no man is an island. That's a great song by 10th Avenue North. I heard it was a song before by somebody else. But I like the premise of it, right? We all need to live in community and that we need each other. The Trinity explains that by looking at that. Our lives reflect that when we're together. Oh, and don't be a peninsula. If you know what that is, we don't need that either. We don't need you to go out a little bit by yourself and, and, or come out or be with community, then leave for a while. No, no, no. We, we need to always be connected to each other because we need each other. And then do not live without empathy, sympathy, or mercy. Don't live without these things because without mercy, how, how, how can you stand before God, but how can you stand before each other when we are constantly at each other to a degree? How can, you not, how can you live without sympathy when you need to have these emotions and feelings for people? How can you not live without empathy, being able to say, hey, I relate to you. I see you. I hear you. This generation needs you. Jamel, what, what about us right now who are in the room? Yeah, we need each other, but... As a body, the church was designed for us to be equipped to go help those who are outside these four walls. You're the church, so get up and get moving. And now you have been moving what I've seen, or maybe you're just putting on a front. But what I do know is that this church is great, and I love this church, but I don't want you to stay where you are. Because complacency, oh, man. It's a great enemy to us. And when we get comfortable, things start to solidify like concrete, and then there we are. Don't be that. Don't be that. The centrality of the gospel is vital. 
So, you want some scripture? I, I'm assuming you do. If, you're not, if you do not know, there's a man by the name of Paul who was formerly known, when you read the Bible, as Saul. Saul was a man who was top in his class. If you grew up in church, you may have learned this. He was top in his class. He knew a lot about the Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, the Septuagint. He knew about this through and through. And in the midst of that, he wanted to stamp out the way. This is what we were known as Christians is the way. And so his object, objective was clear. He wanted to go ahead and persecute you. He wanted to be able to call you out of synagogues and go ahead and jail you, be a public witness to your martyr. The point being, he wanted to stamp out this movement he believed was called the way. And then, before you know it, he's headed to Damascus, and on that very road, he encounters the resurrected Jesus. Changed his life forever, day to night. At least when we read in the text, but I bet it was a process. But he was changed from the inside out when he saw Jesus as Lord. And not as law, and not as judgment, and not even though God does judge and rebuke, those things are important. But not the way that Paul formerly known as Saul, was seeing it. And so from there, he changed his life, and the apostles were kind of like, hey, man, you were just doing this. I don't know if you want to be on our side. I don't know about that. But he studied underneath them. He went around the Mediterranean rim and, and, and planted churches, and, or, or these called ecclesias, these gatherings or assemblies, had them together, studying. And you can read this through, the, through Acts that Luke documents 30 years of church history, and he's talking about Different ways that the church arose and how Paul was one of the fundamental people in that. And so in the midst of this, we're reading in a text where Paul is in prison and he's writing to the church of Philippi, which is what we get the epistle or the letter to the Philippians. And in this letter, Paul is writing to them and he says, hey, I'm writing this because, I, you know, I'm thankful for the money that you've given me to be able to do this. Yet this is the letter that you read that there isn't much sin era, if you will, in the letter. He is so loving and encouraging to this gathering, this ecclesia, this assembly. And he loves them deeply. In opening verses, he says, I thank God for every time I think of you. He tells them later, I love you. He loves this gathering, this church not the German word that becomes the building, but no, the church, the body. He loves them deeply. And so he's not writing to any of you in this room. Because oftentimes we read scripture and we think it's talking to us. The Holy Spirit is talking to you, but Paul had no idea that this letter would survive antiquity and we would be reading the very things that he is saying. Had no idea. He believed that God was coming back which we still do, his urgency was to get it down and get people to know because they had an opportunity to know him as Lord, and he wanted to lose anyone. And his church seemingly is getting some things right. And so I want to speak through his words, through the Holy Spirit, to encourage and love on you as it pertains to the urgency of how to live and speak the gospel and also how to talk to a generation that probably is checked out. So we're in Philippians. We're going to start in chat. I think it's up here on the screen if you have your Bibles. I'm out of the NLT. We're in Philippians 3, verse 17, and it starts this way. He says, Dear brothers and sisters who are listening to the letter that he's writing, dear brothers and sisters, 
pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. What I love and immediately in this text, he says, yo, follow me, I'm him. Now he's not referring to himself as Jesus, but he's putting a high standard saying, yo, God has a high standard. But because of Jesus, we can now look to the Father. This talks about in Romans 3. But Paul's like, yo, I'm that dude. Follow me. Follow after my example, how I live, how I love, the doctrine that is being taught, that is found because of Jesus. So I encourage you in the same way to follow not only Paul's example of what he's saying, but be that example to a generation that needs to see consistency, that needs to see truth, and who cares about relevancy. It's more about how can you love them where they are. Yes, people need to love on you too, but I'm not talking about you right now. I'm talking about you being equipped in here to go do what you're supposed to do if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, this is all optional. But what I am saying is you have to understand, be that example, because everybody is looking to us for answers, for consistency, for clarity, for context, for conviction, for truth, for answers, for defense, Everyone's looking to us for these things, and we're falling apart because we're not unified, and our doctrine is inconsistent to the Scriptures, meaning your fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. And so he's saying right there, hey, pattern your life after me. I'm him. Now follow me as I follow God, as we all be the example. He carries on. He says, for I have told you Often before, talking not to you again, remember, in his context, he says, I've told you before, and I'll say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many of those who conduct, who act, who pattern, right, who conduct, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. And you know how many Christians who say they love God and follow God don't look like God and follow God. I hope you're not that in the room, but what, what I see it a lot, and sometimes I have to check my own heart posture to make sure I line up with Jesus. Trust me, I fall a lot, but I ask God to help me every step of the way. The moment I want to go off on somebody, the moment I want to, to go handle the business the way I want to handle it, the moment my heart is not lining up with God, treason, whatever you can name. I still lean toward God because I want to be that example for that person that's looking at me. Not only the black child that looks at me and says, I can do that, but also just the students that look and say, okay, there is hope, not because of this man, but because of what he knows about another man. So you got to understand, be that example, but your life has to represent that as well. Your life has to look like him because you can't be the example that Paul is asking you to pattern. And he's not asking you, he's talking to Philippi at the time. But the Holy Spirit is reminding us, let's pattern our lives around Christ. Let's follow the teachings of Paul. Let's lean into Jesus. He goes on in verse 19. Because of that conduct that we just read, he says, they are headed for destruction. Makes sense. The more you act sideways and off-key and do dumb things, of course, all the things add up, not by... um, 
Uh, what's the term that people use all the time? Uh, karma, you, sell, you, you get what you get, whatever that is. Forget all that. Every decision and action you make comes with a reaction. Logically. So Paul, you can look at this and say, yeah, of course, they're headed for destruction because of what they're doing. And the life that they're living is not adding up. And he says here, he says, their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think about this life here on earth. He goes on, he says, but we are citizens. That means our citizenship is in heaven. Is in heaven, church. What a glorious day when we get to stand before him face to face. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then we can enter into rest. It's not a scary thing. It's a joyous thing. And he says here, we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. You may say, how does this connect? Well, he says, and we are eagerly waiting for his return, uh, our Savior. And he says, and he will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power which, which will bring everything under his control. Paul is wanting to get this church to know, because if you've not read Philippians, it almost seems like a dark letter. Because if you it, forget studying for a minute, just read it through with hermeneutics, your understanding, just as you would read a, uh, any type of thing, um, letter, newsletter, a book or whatever, and get a context of it. It sounds so dark because Paul is in, is in prison, and he, it's almost like he's writing his final words. Because when you read the flow of all this, He's like, hey, don't forget to do this. Hey, keep doing this. Hey, I love you. I love you. And when you get to this point, closer to the end of the letter, he say, hey, make sure you powder your lives after me. Make sure that you, your conduct is lined up because I don't want you to head into destruction because God's coming soon. And when he does, I hope that he judges you based on how you loved well and how you followed him. Not how you looked and judged other people with the self-righteousness that you deserve right back. And he's saying right here, hey, just hold fast. And then we're going to pause in a second, but he says this, and I like this next verse. He says, therefore, in light of everything that I just said, dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you. I long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy my, and the crown I receive from my work. He says, stay true to the Lord. It's hard. Hold fast. Dig deep. Dig your roots into him is what Paul would say in Colossians to the church of Colossae. Dig your roots in him. Read, pray, study, all these things in him. Do that. So, as I land the plane, if you will, there's a few verses I want to share with you in the beginning of this letter to put us all back into the same frame in the beginning. Paul says in verse, chapter 1 of verse 9, he says, I pray, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep growing in your knowledge and understanding. I like that. And he says, and for I want you to understand what really matters. What is that, Paul? So that you may live pure and blameless until Christ returns. 
I'm going to read a little bit more. And he says, and may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation and the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this, we will bring much glory and praise to God. You heard Jesus say, a person is known, this is in Matthew 7, by the fruit that they bear. More often than not, people can get away with bad fruit, right? Because you can see it from afar, but you don't have to taste and see. And then when you do take a bite, metaphorically, it's rotten on the inside, but it looked appealing on the outside. Or you, you see it in the same gospel, you know, uh, 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 is it a bad tree can't produce good fruit and a good tree, or in a bad tree can't produce, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. What is he saying? Your actions is what matters. And so I like that he's saying that your righteous character is built and formed in Jesus. And then he's saying right there, and I hope that this understanding and knowledge is connected in your mind and it is flowing into your heart. All I'm saying, if you've missed anything up to this point, is that this generation matters, not because I'm in campus ministry. No, not because I did youth ministry for over a decade plus. No, you can see it in every young person that you meet. And what's crazy is that their beliefs and the guidance is kind of twisted or morphed based upon the household they're living in, the influences that they have at school, the influences that they have at college, the influences they have at church. And it's like, why don't we shift our minds where we align it with Jesus and then we know how to move because we have an example that shows us how to move. When you move in such a way and your feet are aligned with Jesus, on the authority of God's word, I promise there'll be transformation not only in your life, because you'll be the byproduct of it, there'll be transformation in the other person's life. This generation needs you. You already know that the building means nothing. You're living proof that God could still move amidst pain, frustration, tragedy, loss. God can still move. You have to play the part, and that's being willing to follow. Not sit in church, receive a good message, walk out, and go back to the same things you've been doing. Not sit in here, receive the message, turn around and do the opposite of what you just learned. Not sit in here, say, I know it all, and then you turn around and go out and do um, the righteous act of just, oh, yeah, I know all these studies. I've read this 80,000 times before. No, I would argue, and I'm not God, I'm glad I'm not. I would argue that we all need to have a heart check and every day to reach each other and the next generation and the one after that and continually until God comes back. And our urgency for the gospel must be just as urgent as when the apostles were teaching truth, living truth. It has to be. So I thought, I said, well, there's, I like takeaways. I like practical stuff. But I said, here are three things, and this is how I'm going to close this out. Here are three things I encourage you to do. I encourage this wholeheartedly. And if you're already doing them, great. Get better, just like me. I'll try. The first one is this on the screen. I'm going to look over here. Stay true to the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. 
Stay true to the Lord Jesus. Paul told us before to. Well, he told that gathering to, and we should as well. What do I mean by that? I mean that we should stay consistent in our prayer life. If you don't have one, find one. Just continue to be in conversation with God. Continue to read and study your Bible. Don't, don't lean into supplements, meaning that just listen to social media or one quick phrase or one quick line and that's your meat for the week. Okay, cool, but you need people like Rachel who can continue to study and read and pour into you. But you also need to read for yourself and understand continually and fall in love with Jesus more and more every day. Continue to read and live in obedience to Jesus. Stay true to him. You know, it says nothing to do this, but I've said this a lot to people. John 14, Philip is having a conversation with Jesus. I'm paraphrasing all of this. He's having a conversation with Jesus. And Philip was like, hey, uh, Jesus, can you show us um, the Father and we're good? And he, he looked, Jesus looks at him and is like, yo, I've been with you the entire time. And you still don't know who the Father is. And then he tells them. When you see me, you see the Father, a.k.a. Jesus is God in a body. And what he's saying to them is that you've been with me the entire time, how I live, how I love. I'm the personification of God. We should be, we are image bearers imaging the Father, so we should look like him all the time. And in the days that we fail, his grace is more than enough. It's sufficient. And so stay true to the Lord. Lean into him. And when I mean the Lord, it's not our own fabricated version of what God looks like. It's the Jesus of the scriptures. That's the man we follow. Because he cared about the individual, cared about the collective, and he was challenging, loving, and rebuking. That's the God we should follow. But you all got free will. Number two is this one. Don't, I hope this doesn't happen to you. This is why I encourage you in this. Do not become jaded, apathetic, or lazy. Don't get tired. Keep digging. I'm proud of you. Do not become apathetic. Don't, you know what? Hey, this, no. Stay strong. Hold fast. Don't be lazy. Work hard. What does Paul say in another letter? Remember, he's not Jesus, but he does talk to a lot of churches. He says this. He says in Galatians 6, 9, this is a great verse. I don't have it up there, but I just want you to hear it. He says, this is at the end of the, the letter. He says, let us not get, or let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll receive, reap a harvest of blessing if we won't give up. I'm not using this as, as prosperity. I'm just trying to tell you. What he's telling them is, hey, don't lose heart or give up. Keep doing the good work that you're doing. Keep doing the good work that you're doing. Because you have no clue, as we all are told, and we've all experienced, you have no clue what is happening in someone else's heart and their mind. The transformation is happening. No matter who waters it, who plants it, this purpose is the same. You can find that in Corinthians 3. Because he's making it clear that God grows that. God, Holy Spirit, takes care of the person. You do your part to help this generation. 
you be urgent and loving well. And the last point is discipleship, which we all know, not small groups, is vital to the Christian faith. Discipleship is based on how Jesus showed it, was not eating together necessarily, but it's being together, praying with each other, learning and teaching, learning and study, and then having time to process it and then actually do the things that you were taught in an evangelistic way. Discipleship is vital to our faith, and I think it's extremely important. And what better way to do that by leaning into Jesus? So what am I saying? Because I'm going to say this and be off here. This is what I'm saying. One, I love all of you. You may say, you don't know me. I love Jesus, so I definitely love you because of Jesus. And I love you because of the relationships I've had with some of you in here. Looking forward to many more. And I'm proud of the work that you're doing. And I'm proud of all the things that you are continuing to pray about. And, and being a united front. In the words of Paul, or I paraphrase a lot of it, I love you, but hold fast and, and don't lose heart. And keep on doing what you're doing, but do it more. Meaning that go deeper in what you're doing. Not for show, not for getting numbers and doing this and that, but no, go deeper into the very things that you're doing. You want to plan this big mission trip? Great. But what's the depth inside that you want people to take away with? You want to have these small groups and get a bunch of house groups? That's great. But how deep are you going to go into those house groups? If you want to go ahead and, and have these great sermon series, that's great. But where do you want to take them? If you, if you want to have this great music that you hear behind you, that's great. But how are you leading all of us to sing together in worship? Yeah. Depth isn't just something that we just say, oh, that was deep and get beat up with words. Depth is going places where you have to trust God to keep you afloat because you may drown. A man's heart is deep water, Scripture would say. So keep leaning in. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving. Keep serving. But remember, if anything, if I die tonight, just remember. Just remember this. God is better. God is better. So don't trade what culture's telling you for the gospel. It's sound. The doctrine is sound. Lean into Jesus, the person that saw you through every single one of your problems and issues and struggles. The same, okay, God, the same one that is with you when you wreck someone's life and when they wrecked yours. The same God that is with you when you have doubts and fears and frustration and anger. The same God that is with you when you don't know where to go or what to do, when you feel lost, aimless, helpless, hopeless. That same God is the same God all the time for you, for me. And so as I begin to pray and Rachel comes up and does communion, Pivot. If anybody wants to come up and surrender their lives to Jesus if they've not had it, or if they want to come up and pray, hey, yo, stand up. It's open. We don't, we don't have to have special times to do these. But 
Or if you want to pray in your seat, surrender to God. Surrender it all. And lean into this generation. Because they're looking, they're watching, they need you. And be urgent. And let me say this one more time, and I'm going to pray. You in this room have immense value and worth and purpose. Don't waste it breathing. Do something. Holy Spirit, we thank you for everyone in this room. We thank you, God, for what you do for us and through us. God, help us to lean into this next generation. Help us, God, to lean into you as we love, as we mentor, as we serve, as we, as we just stand before you, God. God, as we, as we come to this table of communion, God, help us, yes, to be unified as we sit at your table and eat your flesh, drink your blood. It's symbolic to say, Lord, you gave everything for us. The least we can do is give everything back to you. And so, God, be with us right now as we pray and as we sit and surrender at the foot of your cross. As you will put a crown on our head that is not because of our work, but is because of what your son did. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus.